Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for a beautiful day that you have given us. Um, some days it's a little bit warmer or cooler, but Lord, you are in control of everything, even the weather. And as we enter into this beautiful autumn season, Lord, uh, it's really a time of harvest. We always think of you and your wonderful, gracious love that you've given us. And Lord, as we look at a couple of verses here from your Bible this morning, that you would uh, just guard my tongue and that um, this would all be for your glory, for your kingdom, for your honor. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for being God. And let your Holy Spirit be with us today. We love you. Amen. So this um, passage that we're going to look at today is Psalm 32, and this is a psalm that was written by King David, and the, um, the topic of this psalm is forgiveness, and many of you that are familiar with the Bible know that David had grievous sin when he fell into adultery, and then the ensuing murder of Uriah, and for approximately a year... While Bathsheba was pregnant, and then after, shortly after the baby was born, David really didn't have a relationship. It was a broken relationship with God. And in many ways, he was grieving. And Psalm 32 is written after he came to a position of reconciliation with God. He was once again um, in a good relationship because what he did is he confessed his sin. Nathan brought him basically to account, and he asked God to forgive him, and indeed God did forgive him and restore him into a right relationship. And he wrote this psalm in memorandum of that, and it's really a beautiful psalm. It, it covers many of the important areas that we need to address in our lives initially as we come into a saving knowledge, and then in a continuous basis of confessing our sin and keeping, as we call, short accounts with God. So let's look a little bit into um, Psalm 32. It's broken down into three, three short points here. The first one being God's blessings of imputed righteousness, Psalm 32.1. This is a Psalm of David, Mashiel. And blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And mashal means it's giving instruction. And as it's noted here, Psalm 32 is one out of 13 mashal instruction psalms. So when God is giving this to our attention, it, it's, you know, like many times in life we need instruction, yes? How many of us as little children had to have our parents instruct us how to tie our shoes? How about when we got to driving age, we had to learn how to drive a car? And thankfully... <laughs> Our parents taught us, yes, but now we have to step into the shoes. My grandson is three years old. He doesn't know how to tie his shoes. In fact, yesterday we went down to see um, Noah's Ark down in Kentucky, and his shoes didn't have any shoelaces in them. He just got rid of them, so he didn't have to learn how to tie his shoes. But anyway, um, this is a Psalm of David, and it talks about when we have an offense against God's commandments, his Ten Commandments. The Bible speaks of a transgression. It speaks of a sin. And it speaks of iniquity. And Spurgeon said, really, these are the, this is the three-headed dog that's protecting the gates of hell. But God, in his triune, single omniscience, defeats the gates of hell. 
And in the spirit world, we can always draw upon our true Savior, Christ, to fight the battles. And he brought David back into a position of reconciliation. Psalm 51.3 and verse 4 here, this Psalm 51 is really his repentance psalm. And Psalm 32 is his joyous psalm. And in verse 51, 3 and 4, we see David writing, I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, God, only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Even though there were many soldiers that were dead, all of our sins are against God. And David is acknowledging that in these verses. He's saying, my sin is ever before me, and against thee, only thee, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Romans 3.25 says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And that's a big word, propitiation. So the, here's the definition from Albert Barnes. He's saying propitiation is the reconciling, it's the appeasing, it's the turning away of God's anger. It's rendering us favorable in God's sight. And propitiation is the sin covering of all the wickedness we have done. And we have to have God's sin covering in order to have a right relationship with God. Psalm 32.2 says, Blessed is the man unto whom God imputes not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Imputed, it's another one of those big words, but it's very practical. Many of you in your lifetime bought a home and you had to have a mortgage. And simply speaking, imputation is a legal right. So the mortgage, the lender, has a right to an interest and certain fees. Okay, so he's in a position of benefiting from imputing. The, mortgage, the mortgagee has to pay that payment every month, right? So every day, you know, you're, you're imputing an, an interest that's owed until that obligation is paid. The same way, it's with us with God. The wages of sin is death. And if you're not reconciled with God, every sin has an imputed price that ultimately ends in death. God is saying here, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity. In other words, the obligation that you're accruing every time you sin, legally, it's paid for. Legally, there's no obligation. Only in Christ is that possible. And he's saying, if that happens to you, it's blessed. And also in the Hebrew, this translation of blessed, it's not just like one blessing. It's many blessings. The blessings of God are never ending. Romans 4, 6 says, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. This is another very important point. This is the difference between faith and religion. Religious people are always bound by their works to get to heaven. And they will always fall short. Religion will never get you into heaven. The great religions, name them of the world, there's many great religions. If you're a religious person... That will not get you to heaven. Faith gets you to heaven. And not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Now, once we're saved, God wants us to work for his kingdom, yes? 
And James says, you tell me about your religion, I'll show you my religion by my works. Okay, But James had a saving faith. That's the foundation. Jesus is the rock. You, you have to have a right relationship with Jesus, and then he loves it when you serve him. Then he loves it when you do works of righteousness for his kingdom. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So there is no condemnation in you. Many times if you go visit somebody who's in jail, they're under a condemnation. They did something, they had to go to a judge, and the judge said, you have an obligation, you're under this sentence, be it a week, a month, a year, sometimes it's a lifetime. But you're under a condemnation. And in an extreme example, a murderer might even be put to death. They're under the condemnation of death. But Jesus is saying in verse 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus today? If you are, there's no condemnation. All your sins are covered. And if you look at that 32-2, that verse says, in whose spirit there is no guile. Guile is kind of um, um, an old... English term for somebody who lies, somebody who tricks you, somebody who deceives you. It's not good. Because God says all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. So we don't want to have a spirit of guile. And in fact, a lie is really... Satan tricked Eve by lying to her, yes? And Satan is called the father of all lies. Think about this. Every time we sin... We're biting the fruit of a lie. Because the sin is telling us we're going to get a benefit that's really not there. Every sin costs us more than we ever want to pay. You know, when you, yesterday when we went into the, um, into the, uh, the ark, you had to pay an entrance fee. So it's kind of a quid pro quo. You pay this amount of money, they let you go in and tour the facility. And it's in our mind, every, all those thousands of people that had parked in their car, got on the bus, went in, into the facility, we've all agreed that that entrance fee was what we should pay. But we would never agree to the price of sin. It costs too much. But it promises, you know, the, it promises some delight that God hates. Why do we buy that? Because that's the old man nature buying into that spirit of guile, into that spirit of untruth, into that spirit of lies. And God says, blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no guile. And the only way we can get this spirit with no guile is to be in God's kingdom, to be one of God's children. Because his spirit of righteousness overpowers all sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Um, let's, let's look at Psalm 32.3. It says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. So first David is saying, Blesses this man. Blesses this man. And now he's going back in time before he confessed his sins, before Nathan brought him on the carpet, so to speak, and before he got right with God. And it says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old. Through my roaring all the day long. You know, 
I went to visit my mom up in Wisconsin this past week, my mom and my stepdad. My first dad died, and my, I was raised by a stepdad, a very good man. But they're at 85 now. And I'm watching my mom, and she's kind of like, my, my mom is intense, okay? She's got so much energy. But she's kind of walking like this now. She doesn't need a cane, doesn't need a walker, but her, I notice her feet are kind of shuffling a little bit. And I didn't notice that, you know, like a year, I haven't been home for a year. So her bones are waxing old, yes? Can any of you re in this room relate to your bones waxing old? Yes, okay. David, when he wrote this, this psalm, he was only about 50 years old. And yet he's saying his bones were waxing old. Sin will weigh you down. Sin will age you before your time. And on the flip side of that, godly people that don't drink, don't smoke, don't do all of these things that are harmful, they live, it seems like they live, a, Miss Alice, you're blessed of God to have your strength. Oh, that's awesome. Four more years, she will be 100. My grandma lived to be 98. And if you live a godly life, you know, your days will be multiplied. That means you get more done in 24 hours and the years of your life will be increased. You will live past three score and ten if you honor God. He has a way of honoring his children. But David is saying, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. You know, people that are full of pride, they roar. Right? And, and, and David is saying he was waxing old through the roaring. He wasn't reconciled. He wasn't at peace. Roaring is kind of the opposite of being at peace with God. And in Proverbs 17.22 says, A merry heart doth look like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. You know, people that are in sin, many times they're depressed. The pharmaceutical industry in America is getting rich because many Americans are in sin, and they're looking for a way to escape, not by praying to God, and getting a clear mind and a good conscience, but by taking some drug. That will never work. But here it says, a merry heart is like a good medicine. Isaiah 59, 11 and 12 says, We roar all like bears, and mourn sore like doves. This is the way of the world, by the way. Live it up today, and we'll pay the price tomorrow. We look for judgment, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. Our transgressions are multiplied before you. That's God. And our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. You know, we all know when we sin. We can play games and push it off, but we know when we sin. And that's why God is so gracious to forgive us when we ask for forgiveness. He is so full of mercy and love for us, for his children. Psalm 32, 4 says, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. You know, a, a few weeks ago, I think we went over the plagues of Egypt, yes? And the third plague was when God made all of the dust into lice. Oh, there's a lot of dust. That's a lot of lice. And Pharaoh's magicians, they couldn't duplicate it. And they said, this truly is the finger of God. 
Now, if the finger of God could cover the entire country of Egypt with a plague, here David says, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Not a little finger of God, the hand of God was heavy upon him. You know, a lot of times when there's a, a child who's out of order, we can kind of just push him down. Hey, settle down. Because our, as an adult, our hand is very strong, yes? And we can kind of control a, a, a child who's three or four and a little bit rambunctious. David is saying, your hand was heavy. He says, my moisture turned into the drought of summer. The, his moisture, his soda, you know, like if you cut a tree, there's sap in the tree, yes? The sap feeds the leaves. David is saying, because of his sin condition, literally the sap in his body was going away. And it turned into the drought of summer. And Selah, Selah is um, a musical term. And many of the children, when they grew up, the Hebrew children, they had to learn um, the psalms. And how they would learn them is they would sing them. You know, our children, we learned, like yesterday, my three-year-old was um, playing a YouTube video. He was learning the ABCs. And he was singing, because they're singing the song. It's easy to learn when you sing, yes? Well, they would sing these psalms. And Selah is a time where they would stop and meditate. Or there might be a musical interlude. So we see that, we see that term many times in psalms and also in the book of Habakkuk. So that, that's what Salem means. It's a musical interlude. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I re regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I have sin in my heart, God's not going to hear my prayer. He might answer to the benefit of the person who I'm praying for, but there might be other reasons why he's answering that. Maybe somebody else is praying. Maybe that's a dear saint to God. But you know what? If I have sin in my heart, God doesn't have to answer any of my prayers until I get reconciled. I mean, that would be no different than your children or your grandchildren coming to you and asking a favor from you while they're totally disrespected you. As a parent or a grandparent, you would say, what's wrong with this picture? Yes, we need to fix the problem. God is no different. John 7, 38 says... He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. You know, Jesus is the bread of life, and he's also living water. And what just like our bodies need bread and water to sustain life, our spiritual souls need the living water of God. And the best way to get the living waters of God into our soul is to talk to him, is to pray, is to delight in him, is to read his word, is to sing songs. I bet many, many times when you were playing these beautiful hymnals, Alice, you were fellowshipping with God and it was a blessing to your soul, yes? yes. Absolutely. That's the way God blesses us because you were fellowshipping with God. He wants us to fellowship with him. He delights when we delight in him. Yes, Miss Alice? He's closer than our hands and feet, nearer than our breathing. Amen. In fact, he's in us. <laughs> the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Okay, so let's go to the next verse. James 4, 6 says, But he giveth more grace. 
Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know, when David was in his state of sin, he was really in a state of pride. And pride comes before the fall. And in order for him to make it right with God, he had to humble himself, admit his sin, confess it, and then let God forgive him. You know, many times we get in positions of life, it doesn't take much to humble us. But David was a king. His law, his word was the law. It would take a lot more to humble some man like that than it would take to humble the average person. Psalm 32.5 says, no, this is David when he's acknowledging his sin. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. So here, this is the step that David had to go through to reconcile his relationship. He acknowledged his sin. How many times do we talk to people, and even in our own self-interest, we don't acknowledge our sins. We have a selfish way of getting around the negative things that we do, the bad things that we do. David is saying here, I acknowledge my sin and my iniquity have I not hid. He disclosed it. He made it public. And then God forgave him. Psalm 34 and 5 says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. His anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And applying that to our lives, one day all of us will pass into eternity. And if you're a Christian, the joy will come on that morning. It will be a blessing. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to wash us from all unrighteousness. We need to confess our sins. That's the first step. And then repent of, them, of those sins. Okay, that was the first point. The second point is God's blessings as our Redeemer and Refuge. Psalm 32, 6 says, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. This is kind of a, this is a very interesting verse, but it's also kind of scary. Because this speaks to the point that we can pray to God in a time when God can be found. You know, some people are praying too late in their life, and God can't be found. The Spirit of God, the grace of God that brings salvation, that appears to all men... God chooses when he's going to give that spirit. We don't choose it. A pastor made the point, he was talking to a man who was living in sin, in the prime of life, and the man said, you need to be saved. And the man told the pastor, I'll get saved on my deathbed. When I'm ready to die, I will call God and say, save me, I want to go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. God chooses when his Holy Spirit it's going to touch your soul, your heart, your mind, so that you have a godly sorrow for your sin. That man on his deathbed has no assurance that he's even going to be godly sorrow, sorry for his sins. 
He has no assurance of that. This verse says, For this shall everyone that is godly, if you're godly, you have been saved. And it says, That is godly, pray unto you in a time when you may be found. You know, David found God when he sought repentance. And it says, Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto God. In Revelation it talks about the great waters being many, many people. So there's many nations, those are the waters of the world. And it says many of those people in the waters of the world, they will go to God, but he's not going to let them draw nigh to him. You know, the Bible teaches us, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you, yes? Come near to God, and he will draw near to you. But there's a time when you can go beyond when God is going to hear you, when you can find him. And that's a scary thought. But that's what the Bible teaches. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he's near. You know, it also says your sin has separated between you and your God. It's almost like every time you sin, you take a brick and you start building a wall. And there's a brick and there's another brick and another brick and another brick, right? And all of a sudden your sin wall gets bigger and bigger and bigger and you're, you can't see God, you can't see the blessings, you can't hear His Holy Spirit. Your sin has separated between you and your God. John 12, 36 says, While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be children of the light. You know, God is light and in Him is no darkness. You need to believe in God and have His light in your life. And, and then it goes on to say, These things spoke Jesus and departed and hid himself from them. Jesus hid himself from them. He also says in Matthew, thank you, Father, that you hid the gospel from those wicked sinners. That's scary talk, but that's what the Bible teaches. Because the devil will blind the lost with his light, his false light, his false gospel. And Jesus, because of the sin of these people, will hide his gospel from them. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Now, physically, Jesus was, they were looking to kill him, so in some ways he was hiding himself physically because his time to go to the cross had not yet come. But in the spiritual realm, many times, he hides himself from the blasphemous soul. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. If the Holy Spirit is calling upon you, today is the day. Don't put it off. The Bible says, boast not yourself of tomorrow, because you don't know what a day is going to bring forth. You might not be here tomorrow. I might not be here tomorrow. That's why we need to make it right with God today. Even if it's a little thing. Today, make it right with God. And he will bless you. Psalm 32, 7 says, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. You know, a lot of times we need to have a place where we just go and hide away from the world. Sometimes it might be a room in our house. Or sometimes it might be just 
you know, shutting out all the noise, turning off the television, the radios, and just having fellowship and quiet time. In the spirit world, Jesus is our refuge. He says, you, David speaking, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall compass me. That means put it, God will put his arms around him and protect him. Psalm 9.9 says, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. A refuge in times of trouble. Psalm 119.114 says, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. See, God loves us. God loves us. And he wants to protect us. And he is our refuge. And he's our redeemer. 1 Corinthians 15.54 and 55 says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this is when we die. Our bodies are corruptible. Our bones are waxing old, yes? But one day, the Christians, when they pass through the portal of death, will put on the incorruption. And this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? And as a Christian... Yes, ma'am. As a Christian... These are all our promises of God. And you know what? God never, ever fails on a promise. Never, ever. And he puts it in his word, and we can count on that. Okay, so the third point we're going to look at today is God's blessings of instruction, guidance, and preservation. Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with mine eye. God will instruct us and teach us in the way we should go. How many times did you buy something from the store, let's say a bicycle that you wanted to build for your grandkids, okay? And you take all the parts out of the box and you lay them all out, and then you look at the instructions, and the instructions are in Chinese, okay? Because <laughs> all of our stuff comes from Chinese, right? From China. That doesn't help you a lot. But God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And he says, I will guide you with my eye. Okay, here's another thing. How many times in your life did you get out of bed, you had to go to the bathroom, it's dark, you don't want to turn on the light because, hey, the bathroom's only 10 feet away, and you walk and you stub your toe. Anybody ever do that? Okay. And you're going, oh, why didn't I turn on the light? God says, I will guide you with my eye. Does God know everything? Does his eye see everything? Does God's eye see the future? God sees not only in the physical world. My mom's eyes are deteriorating. She's had cataract surgery. Okay, so she doesn't see so well anymore. But God's eyes see perfect. And he sees into the spiritual realm perfectly. He controls the spirit world. We need God's instruction and this promise, I will guide you with my eye. We need to have God, and we, let's let him guide us. Let's let him lead us. Just like you lead a child. They're relying on you because you're the adult to lead them to safety, whatever the issue may be. Let's let God lead us safely into heaven. Psalm thirty-three, eighteen says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. You know, the eye of the Lord is upon us if we fear him. We need to fear God. And that's a loving benefit that God is giving us. You know, many times 
We want to protect our children in whatever circumstances they might be. You know, don't run out to the road when they're, when they're older. When they're little, we don't even let them get near the road because they're not old enough to understand that cars can hurt you. God says, The eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him and upon them that hope in his mercy. Forgiveness is God's mercy. He doesn't have to forgive us when we ask forgiveness. But because he has grace, but God who is rich in grace and for his mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, when we were dead in sins, made us alive. He quickened us. God has infinite attributes. He loves us and he's very merciful. And that's his grace. And here he's saying, upon them that hope in his mercy. If we hope to go to heaven when we die, that's our hope, right? That's God's mercy working in our life. Because there's a lot of people out there, they think they evolved from some amoeba that came out of the sea five billion years ago, and they're going to die, and then that's it. They don't realize that there's an eternity once we pass. Psalm 51, 12, and 13, this is again David, he wrote this psalm after he sinned. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with your free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors the ways, and the sinners shall be converted. I think David was publicly brought to face his sin. And many of the events in his life afterward evidence that. But he's saying, then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted. When we fall into sin, that's not the end of the story. If God has mercy, he forgives us when we repent. But we can use that fallen sin that we walk through as a way to teach other people. And God is saying here, Then will I teach transgressors your ways, God's ways, and sinners shall be converted. Just because you had sin in your life in the past, that doesn't mean you can't witness for God. If you ask God to forgive you, it's under the blood. It's covered. As far as the east is from the west, he took that transgression away from you. And you're like the white snow in the winter when the snow falls in God's eyes. You're pure again, and you can witness for God. Don't think he puts you on the shelf and puts you, you're useless. No. Once you ask God to forgive you, you're clean again. It's like a little child who's back in fellowship with his parents. God will use you again. So Proverbs 133 says, But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. You know, the closer we get to Jesus, the less Satan wants to attack us. Because it's an uphill battle for him in the spiritual world. But once we get away from God, it's like the sheep that kind of goes astray. Or you ever watch the, the shows like Lions in Africa? They don't go for the strongest one in the herd. They go for the one who's getting away from the rest of the, the crowd, away from the protection. And that's what Satan will do in our lives when we get away from God, when we get into patterns of sin, when we fail to talk to God, when we fail to read the Bible when we fail to fellowship with other Christians. Psalm 32, 9 says, Be not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with a bit and a bridle. You know, a horse is a, a magnificent animal. 
but it's not really intelligent. And we all know what mules are known for, right? They're a little bit stubborn. They can be a lot stubborn. God is saying, don't be like the, like the horse or the mule. I mean, that's as plain as can be. Be not as the horse or as the mule. Don't be dumb, a little bit stupid, and don't be stubborn. Just give in. Just don't fight it. Go with the flow, so to speak. God, his eye is leading us. Let him lead us. Second Chronicles 38 says, Now, be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were. You know, my, my youngest granddaughter, she's three months old, right? Three months old. That's just like 13 pounds. Well, you know what she does when she gets a little bit angry? Her whole body goes stiff. She's three months old. She, does, she wants her weight already. She's three months old. Hey, I'm hungry, Mom. Where's the food? Right? God is saying here in this verse, don't be stiff-necked as your fathers were. You know, as adults, we can be stiff-necked. God is saying, yield yourselves unto the Lord. Yield. Give in. And enter into his sanctuary. Enter into his, his fellowship, into his sanctuary, into his blessings. Psalm 78, 8 says, And might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. There's a generation out there right now that's not walking with God. They are stiff-necked. When God, Holy Spirit, speaks to them, they rebel against it. They don't want to hear it. Do you have something to say, ma'am? No? Okay. So Proverbs 26.3 says, A whip for a horse, and a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Who wants to be whipped like a horse? Who, and a rod. Who wants to be spanked by God like a fool? But God will do that. And sometimes... It's better to be chastised by God than to be out of fellowship with God. Just like we correct our children when they need to be corrected because you want them to have the blessings in life, God will do that with us also. Psalm 32.10 says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about, surround him. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. You know, this, the promises of sin are never fulfilled. They're never realized. Every sin is a lie because it promises what it doesn't deliver. And every time we sin, we bought the lie. We bought the fancy package and we never looked inside. And we never looked at the invoice to see how much that sin is going to cost us. Isaiah 57, 21 says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. You know those people that are denying God exists? that are living in the world today, God says there's no peace. And isn't peace like one of the best attributes you can have? When you go on a long journey, don't you just want to be home and in your bed at night? You know, that my mom always says that. I just can't wait to go home and get in my bed. And because there's peace in your house. There's peace in your house. But God is saying with the wicked, there is no peace. Romans 2, 8, 9 says, But unto them that are contentious, that do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they're going to get indignation and wrath. They're going to get tribulation. They're going to get anguish. 
upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So this verse, Psalm 32.10, is talking about the wicked. It says, many sorrows will be to the wicked. In Romans 6.23, we've heard this many times. The wages of sin is death. But the other side of that coin is the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. James 1.14 and 15 says, Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. So let's look at the last point. God ends on a very high note with this Psalm 32. Psalm 32, the last verse, 11, says, Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. If you're saved today, God says, Be happy, be full of joy, because you're righteous. You're made righteous under the blood of God. You're redeemed. You're a joint heir with Christ. You're in the family. And Jesus sticks closer than a brother. Those are all promises. One day when we get to heaven, God has the rewards in store that he set aside for you. Psalm 84, 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. How many times did you work at a job and you were promised a bonus and some circumstance changed and you didn't get the bonus. And the circumstance had nothing to do with you. God is saying here, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God will never take back his promise. He will never take away the bonus that he promised. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My, joy shall be jo- my, my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As the bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as the bride adorns herself with jewels. You know, we can delight in God and just praise him for so many things he gives us. For the situations we have in life. For our breath, for our food. But think about in the spiritual realm. We have a guardian angel. We have a God who's on the throne. We have redemption. Heaven waits us. A glorified body, we will put on incorruption, and the grave will have no sting, death will have no sting, one day. And those are all promises. Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like unto you that pardons iniquity, and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retains not his anger forever, because he delights in mercy. So it's back to that, that central thought, The gracious mercy of God's forgiveness. God is so full of mercy that he will forgive us. And that verse is saying that. He retains not his anger forever. He doesn't keep his anger forever. You know, God will be angry with the wicked, but for the Christians, for the saved, he doesn't stay angry with us. He forgives us because he's full of mercy. And then the last verse Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And we can rejoice in the Lord always. Anytime we can rejoice. It's, and God wants us to rejoice in Him. Because He is good. And why wouldn't we want to rejoice in our good God? Let's pray.
Yes, ma'am? You said something about that sometimes he doesn't forgive. What is that? Uh, well, the, the people that die that are not saved, they can never be saved. The Bible says, He that despised Moses' law, the Ten Commandments, dies without mercy under two or three witnesses. And the two or three witnesses are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our sins at the judgment seat will witness against us. And that verse says, He that despised Moses' law, he that despised means you disrespect. You have no desire to honor the Ten Commandments. He that despised Moses' law dies without mercy. Those people will never be forgiven because they rejected during their lifetime the Holy Spirit who is gently calling them, who is gently saying, come to me. And they said no. And their sins will never be forgiven. No, no, no. The saved, our, yeah, the saved, we absolutely, all of our sins are under God's blood. It's covered. We, it, that's the propitiation we talked about earlier. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the ones who, no, the ones who die and rejected Jesus, their sins will never be forgiven. It's sad, but that's what, that's why Jesus had to die. That's why we call him Savior. Because he has to save us from our sins. You know, Jesus didn't die for, for the animals out there. He didn't die for the sun and the moon and the stars. He died for our souls. And his, the, the wages of every sin we commit is the death penalty. He that keepeth the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. You can keep every jot and every tittle of the law and just defend in one little point, and God says you're guilty of all Ten Commandments. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross for our sins. That's a, that's a great question. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for a beautiful day. And Lord, for all of the residents um, in, this, in this facility, Lord, that you would bless them this upcoming weekend. I know many of them have um, things that they're grappling with in their life. Maybe it's uh, physical ailments. But Lord, you made our bodies. You give a, you're the author of life. And, Lord, we can always come to you. You love us, and we can always talk to you. And, Lord, we can always draw an eye unto you. And, Jesus, thank you for going to the cross, Father, for sending your Son, for, all, for being the one true God, and that your Holy Spirit would be with us this week. We love you. Amen. Uh, if you turn to 436, um, I thought this would be an appropriate song uh, to, to sing to close, it's called Wider Than Snow. Uh, it comes from Psalm 51.7, which says, Wash me and I will be wider than snow. It's a well-known um, psalm. But 436, let's sing this to close.
Let's uh, close with a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. (laughs) Lord Jesus, I do do pray that you would cleanse us and make us whiter than snow. I pray that you would um, help that that knowledge of you that that we can be saved, that that would impact how we live now. That we're citizens of heaven, not citizens of earth. That we need to be kingdom focused and um, to go about furthering your kingdom. And uh, there are plenty of worries in the world and concerns and cares, but I pray that you would help us to, as your word says, to take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow should take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is, is the troubles that we have. And I just pray that you would give us the grace to take on each day one at a time. I pray that you would, as we talked about earlier, that you would help us to put on the full armor of God every day. And uh, pray that you would help us to um, be conscientious of just that, that your Holy Spirit dwells within, within us and that we would tell others about it. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Thank you for these dear saints. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. You all have a wonderful day, and uh, you are dismissed. <laughs>